Hello and welcome to the Go Sell Something podcast. I'm Rob Murphy, and here at Affinity, we multiply your profits by helping you build and optimize your sales team. We have with us today Mr. Jordan Davis. Jordan began as a sales rep for Remington in 2010 and in only eight years became the VP of Marketing and Business Development. He operated all the marketing and BD efforts internationally for Remington, spent some serious time overseas, and then got the job as president of the Americas for Mastad Fishing, which is based in Norway. Big boy job. Jordan, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. When you say it that way, it sounds uh, it sounds pretty incredible, but it's <laughs> not. <laughs> I thought, well, I, it sounded pretty incredible to me. So I'm curious, how'd you get into sales in the first place? What was kind of your beginning story? Actually, it's funny. Uh, I was going to school the first time because I've changed my career path multiple times. I want to be a cop when I was a kid. So I went to school for, for uh, criminal justice. And at the time I was working at a coffee shop and I had a girlfriend and, the, and every day after the coffee shop closed, I would go to this retail store called GI Joe's like almost every day to the point where my girlfriend was like, why don't you just get a job at this place? Right. <laughs> and the reason I went there is because my passion was fishing and hunting. And so I was going to buy gear and look at the newest things and just goofing off. And the day, the literally the day she said, go get a job there. Since you spend so much time, they had a, on the counter a bright pink slip of paper taped to the counter that said help wanted. No way. Yeah. So I applied and a funny interview, the guy who was hiring me, uh, still a friend of mine, his name's Dave Jones. He's a fantastic person. It was a cool interview because we were talking about guns and ammo and hunting and shooting. It was nothing about like, so tell me, you know, where right. do you see yourself in five years? Like what bullet do you use to go shoot deer? And so <laughs> I think I aced the interview and he hired me. And so I spent a couple years there while I was going to school and made my way up into a department manager for huh. for the hunting department, hunting and fishing department. They moved me to Bend, Oregon. And I spent probably a year and a half, two years there. And an opening came for the buyer for the entire company. And I had uh, put together some like, I don't know what you want to call them, like little mini outdoorsman's days where we had a big tent outside and I brought in all the local hunting guides and product oh. managers from some of our companies. And the buyer the or the i guess like the vp of, of purchasing at the time another friend of mine his name's bg ellerson and he's he's a fantastic human being he noticed me through that little like hunters gathering and he said wow you know this is pretty cool you put this all together on yourself as just a department manager huh interview for the role so i interviewed wow. and i got the job as buyer and this is a theme you'll notice in my career i spent about 18 months as the buyer and they went bankrupt. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and that's a story in and of itself. But at the time, Remington was, was actively recruiting me, and they wanted me to come on as like a regional merchandiser, which is essentially like an assistant to the salesperson. And at the time, Sarah, my wife, and I just didn't think. We just got married four months previously, and we didn't think it was the best for our relationship for me to be trucking all over the West Coast and leaving yeah. her home alone. So we politely declined, and I went and ran a little gun shop in Portland, Oregon, a year later, Remington came back and said, look, we have an opening for a sales position. We want you to come on and do this. And after being married for a year, I think it was my wife said, yeah, you probably need to leave the house. <laughs> All joking aside, I took the job. And as you said, I just kind of progressed. And I, I managed the territory from Oregon all the way through California and Hawaii. Never got to go to Hawaii, unfortunately, but mm. um, managed that territory, build the business there. 
and was given more responsibility to manage some key accounts. There was a couple large chain stores that I ended up managing for, for Remington. One of them was Big Five, which might be familiar to some yeah. of your listeners. Uh, Bymart, Postal Farm and Home Supply, some of those bigger accounts. Did that for a couple years. And because I had been a buyer, my boss at the time gave me the chance to interview for like a director's position over some of our new categories for Remington. And this was kind of interesting. And I remember at the time thinking it was for air guns is what it was for. We were mm. launching an air gun line and nobody in the company really wanted to do it. You know, I don't, I don't know the reason for that. There were other applicants, but I think it was kind of like, well, it's, it's, it's one of these little tchotchke things that the company's going to try and do and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. But I looked at it as an opportunity. I said, man, I, my own, my own little area to really do something from sales to marketing to product development. And it was a blessing. It had to have the Lord in it for me. Cause I know otherwise I would have let my ego get the best of me. And be like, I'm going to go sell guns. Like one of the big guys. <laughs> sure. But we took it and I got to learn about sourcing in China I got to learn about quality management. I got to learn about importation rules and, and ITAR rules, international mm-hmm. you know, traffic and arms laws. I got to learn about supply chain. I mean, you name it, I had to be involved in it because it was my job as director of business development for that to do all that stuff. Mm. And we were successful. We launched a product. We had a good year of sales. Ultimately, we decided that someone else could do it better and we licensed the, the brand to to Crossman, I think it was at the time. Okay. But by taking that role and and just really sucking it all in and learning and and enjoying it, I was given an opportunity to be director of what they called, I think at the time, like new business and business development. So taking what we had done with air guns and trying to proliferate those practices through the company. That wasn't very long lived because there were some reorganizations. The company was kind of struggling at the time. I moved down to Alabama, go to work one morning. My boss calls me, so I'm going to pick you up and get some coffee. And I can remember we were parked in front of the coffee shop on, on gosh, what is it? Wall Triana or Triana. How do we say it down here in the South? Triana. Triana. I'm going to get it wrong. He's like, so what do you think about marketing? I was like, oh, it's great. It's interesting. You know, I'd love to, love to be a part of it and help. And he's like, well, we're going to let go of so-and-so and you're going to take over marketing. That The rest is history at Remington. And I That's did that awesome. for three years. And unfortunately they, you know, they cycled through some leadership teams and they, they just couldn't really get a few aspects of the business right. And bankruptcy number one hit. And I was a casualty of that first round of bankruptcies. Gotcha. Luckily, must add. What was the transition like from between those two jobs? Yeah, luckily, well, companies, I'm going to be a nice guy and not speak poorly of a previous employer, <laughs> but the atmosphere is much different. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, you know, a company going through a, a turnaround and a bankruptcy, the, the morale is a lot different. So sure. Coming to mu- must add similar outfit, right? Because sporting goods related, 140 years old, the, the must add branded hooks are 140 years old. The company, Mustad, if we're going to say it the way the Norwegians do, there you go, is uh, two, almost 200 years old. 1832, the company was founded and they made everything from horseshoes to sewing needles to zippers to nails, anything where you could take a steel rod or steel, you know, we call it coil or steel wire and make it into a product. They were making it. They made combs and brushes. And I think they made teeth for cotton gins and all kinds of things. That was crazy. Wow. And then in, um, 18, 1877, they started, uh, making hooks. Okay. And that's a cool story. It would take hours to talk about all that, all that. But anyways, the transition was actually pretty nice because 
in the U.S., North America, the sporting goods industry is pretty similar between the two. It's really a lot of the same customers, okay. a lot of the same customs, trade shows. You know, the whole atmosphere is the same. Yeah. But it's laid back. The fishing industry is great. <laughs> right? The first time I went to a trade show for the fishing industry, I ran into an old boss of mine, and he's a president of a, of a really, really large sales and marketing uh, rep group. And he walks up to me in shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> and this is the same guy like three years before, four years before when we were at SHOT Show, the big you know, firearms industry trade uh-huh. show, was like, everyone will wear a dark suit, same color tie, black shine shoes. Wow. If you're going to make a career in fishing, you got to know how to relax. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And that's so... There's no politics, you know, and no one's talking about banning fishing or right. fishing rods. So you don't have to worry about that. Just a lot of nice people. I mean, awesome. Aside from the largest companies, most of the people in this industry have taken the passion or a hobby and built a business out of it. Mm. And so they're they're just as passionate about angling as they were before they owned the company or the product or the patent or whatever. So yeah, in that aspect, it's been really nice. Well, I am curious. I'm really curious. So what is the distribution look like on a national and an international scale? I mean, kind of who are, who are you going after as far as, you know, is it chains? Is it, you mentioned trade shows, you know, what is, what does all that look like? I mean, are you and your team, uh, knocking on people's doors and asking if they're out of fishing hooks or what's the deal? Well, these days, yeah. Um, we're recording this, what on uh, March was it 11th? Yeah. 2021. So post COVID Yeah. right now, anything fishing related, you can sell, you can sell it to anybody. I mean, it's, you go to Walmart, they're out of stock. Bass Pro Shops are out of stock. People have been recreating outside for obvious reasons. And it has just, it's been a blessing and a boon to our industry. We can't keep anything in stock. That's relatively awesome. Relatively speaking. So right now, yeah, we're calling people saying, do you need anything and everything? And <laughs> the answer has been yes. But specifically, um, so, so Musta has been selling for 140 years and we actually pride ourselves in having one of the first multinational brands hmm. back in the early 20th century. We had a salesperson who was on the road for something like 400 days straight. And I'm, oh my I'm going to screw this up. And someone from the company who's a historian is going to be like that idiot. He got it wrong, but <laughs> it was more than a year. I mean, the guy left and came home and had like a, I don't know, a three month old daughter or son or something. Oh my gosh. We actually have his suitcase on display in our, in our museum. And it's got the old stickers when you cross the borders. Remember, you know, wow, yeah, Africa and Argentina. That's this amazing. guy literally rode his way across Africa in a dugout canoe to sell hooks. <laughs> He's got pictures of him. Oh Seriously. My goodness. So we've been doing the Nash, the international distribution thing for a really long time, and and he kicked that off. We currently sell in roughly 160 countries. Wow. In one way or another. Our distribution model, though, is a lot more efficient than that, right? We don't have facilities in all those all those countries. We deal a lot with distribution and distributors and wholesalers within Europe. Very much the same in South America, Africa, emerging markets especially, because there's not a lot of stability there, especially in our industry. I mean, the mom and pop mm-hmm. fishing shop in central Brazil is probably not as well capitalized as the distributor in right. you know, Rio de Janeiro. Mm-hmm. So we tend to mitigate risk that way. But in your more developed countries like United States, Canada, the European Union, we've got multi-channel and omni-channel fulfillment models. So we do, uh, we work with Amazon, we work with Walmart, we work with all the key distributors, we work with um, 
any and all small dealers. I mean, we have a pretty aggressive, aggressive program to support small dealers on a direct basis. That's great. So yeah, we're, we're servicing it all. What would you say was the biggest challenge or the lowest point of your career? There's been a few being let go from Remington, even though it had to do with the bankruptcy and a reorganization. Uh, and we can, you know, privately have a conversation about the other <laughs> reasons why I think I was let go. There, there was some things that, that, that at that course, I don't think had a lot to do with just the business. Okay. So that was a pretty revealing experience, or I guess it taught me about, um, cronyism. It mm. taught me about honesty. Sure. You know, it taught me about uh, trust. Mm-hmm. And personally, I, I remember the day they, they, the two, the two managers walked in to, to tell me that my, my position was being eliminated. And I was such just a piece, hmm. you know, because I knew at that point, you know, this has very little to do with my work ethic and my ability and a lot more to do with just people playing, playing chess with people's lives and livelihoods uh, for their own gain. So that was pretty low. I mean, but it was a great learning experience. And look, the Lord saw me through, man. I came, I was already in interviewing with Mustad. I got let go. And 30 days later, I was, I was working for a fantastic company. So wow. no complaints. But I'd also have to talk about some of the things that humble you. You know, you, you, first year at Mustad wasn't great. Sales weren't great. Okay. Um, and I'm not, I can't go into details on that, but, you know, for the things that I wanted to accomplish for me and for the business and for the people there, Um, we didn't accomplish those things Hmm. and I had to really do some, some introspection because there was an ego, a little bit of pride and Hey, we've all been there. We've all struggled with that. Yeah. So I had to, I had to really do some, some soul searching there and, and, but it was good and I learned from it and had super supportive chairman and and interim CEO. And he was honest with me and said, you know, I didn't think you were going to do well. And I needed to hear that because you know, I don't think if I would have heard that, I would have humbled myself or sure. at least allowed myself to be humbled, you know? So sure. How did you re- kind of recover? How did you write the ship there and get things where you wanted to go? Well, I had to admit that I didn't have all the answers. One of the mistakes I made is thinking that all the experiences I had had at Remington, which again, is similar, you know, you asked the question about how was the transition, very similar industries but I didn't know the business. I didn't know the fishing business like I knew the firearms business. Hmm. Um, it's different. While it's much the same, it's very much different. And I didn't learn enough about the people, the culture, the processes at, at Mustad Americas before I tried to make a lot of changes. We all suffer from it, right? We can do better than the last guy or the last girl because, sure. well, obviously they're not here anymore and they hired me, so I must be better, right? Sure, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances to consider when you come into a new role. And I think that if I could do it over again, I probably would have taken a good six months to just learn the business, learn the people, ask the questions. Uh, because hindsight being, there wasn't that much wrong. It didn't need a full turnaround. Mm-hmm. People just needed some support and help. So after 2019, when the chairman at the time sat down with me and just said, look, here's a few things you need to work on. Uh, here's some personal things, you know, interpersonal things you should work on with your team. And I took it to heart. And what did I have to lose? Mm-hmm. And after that, things started to get better. Of course, I can't take a lot of credit because, like I said earlier on, the, the industry right now is crazy. We're selling everything we can possibly sell. So I want to say that there's a portion of that that's the team coming together, 
me trying to be better and more supportive leader that is part of that growth. But uh, we'll have to see in the long run because right now the market is, is really driving a lot of our success. Interesting. Yeah, it's crazy how COVID has been so devastating in some industries, but it's been the best thing that ever happened financially mm-hmm. in other areas. It's wild. Well, last question. What would you say to someone who's starting in sales or thinking about starting in sales for a big company like a Remington or a Mustad? There's a lot. That's the thing is there's a lot, but I think the simplest thing that I would say, and I say this to a lot of people, is just, you know, don't be afraid or don't be too prideful to be at the bottom. Be okay with being the low low person on the totem pole and then just live and breathe excellence. And that's super cliche to say, right? Like I imagine a poster with, you know, MJ Duncan's, you know, at the bottom, be excellent today. <laughs> so stupid, right? But there's a lot of truth in it. And there was a, there was a quote that I, I saw somewhere that said, sign every piece of your work with excellence or something like that. And I, the thing I took away from that is um, your, your reputation is built on the quality of product or the quality of work that you perform or provide from day one. If that means you're the guy in the mail room or you're an administrative assistant or you're a janitor, sweep that floor the best you can. Assist that executive the best you can. Like, don't leave anything in that person, your supervisor's mind, your peer's mind, other than, wow, that person's on top of it. Mm. And what I would add to that is don't make it your life. I mean, have a good balance and, and, and you know, don't beat yourself up. Don't be a too much of a perfectionist. But there's a reason why conscientiousness is probably the number one indicator of someone's success in their career. Mm. And That's I see great. it every day. I talked to a, a young girl probably five years ago our CFO at Remington at the time, his daughter was in, I think her senior year of college. And he, and she needed to interview someone who was in marketing because she was going to school for marketing. And we had like a really nice 30 minute conversation about marketing practices and applications and, you know, with social media and all the things that are modern and cool and buzzwords to talk about. And then she asked me at the end of the call, like, so what do you have? What kind of, what kind of uh, advice do you have for me to go out there and, and start to win right away in the, in the marketing field? And I was like, don't be afraid to start at the bottom. Literally, don't be afraid to go in there and just be an intern or just be the person who is the traffic person in the creative room. Whatever it is that they'll offer you, if it's eight fifty an hour, take it and do it to the best of your ability. And she was, I was kind of taken aback because she was blown away by that. Like, what do you mean start at the bottom? Well, my first job was at a sporting goods store. I made $8.65 an hour. I'm now the president of a reasonably sized brand. And that's not braggadocious. What I'm saying is like the American dream or the ability just to put yourself out there, do your best, always have the best in mind is, is really important for people to take away and it shines. And that's, that's probably the biggest piece of advice I would have. And then stay organized, always have an answer. And if you don't be honest and say you don't, but then go find it. Jordan, thank you so much. We will uh, let you go. It's been a little over 20 minutes now. Really appreciate your comments, your thoughts, And thank you to all of our listeners today for spending your time with us. I know I learned things. I hope you did too. Go sell something.